0: Good morning. If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley, and I'm the lead pastor here, and that was my son, Ryder. That was last year when he was three. Yeah, he loves dinosaurs. He knows so many dinosaurs. He's so sweet, and we call him our resident dino expert, Pachycephalosaurus. (laughs) Say that five times fast. We are in a series today called Indominus which is now his favorite dinosaur. The Indominus has dethroned the T-Rex for him, so a little update to that video. Um, We named this series Indominus because that dino, it dominates all the other dinos in the Jurassic Park world, just like God's grace dominates everything else. Come on. And if you haven't been here yet for some of this series, grace is just receiving from God what Jesus earned at the cross. It's undeserved, it's unmerited favor of God that he gives to us because it pleases him to do that. The Bible says that grace wins hands down every time grace dominates. Come on. You know, yeah, I love my son and I love that he knows all the dino names. Like I love that that's his thing. I love him when he's a perfect little angel and so adorable there. And you know what? I also love him when he does not so adorable things. I know it's hard to believe. But sometimes, for example, when his food is touching each other on his plate, he has a meltdown. It's touching! I can't eat that! It's poisoned! And because my husband and I are good parents, we correct him, you know, when this happens, because. When he's 22, I don't want him to be like on a date with a cute girl and like, this food is touching. Nope, can't have it. No, I want to help him win in life. That would be embarrassing. But even if he did do that, it wouldn't determine how much I love him. I don't love him more when he's calm. I don't love him less when his food is all crazy and he's crazy. I don't love him because of what he does. I love him unconditionally because of our relationship. I love him because he's my son. And maybe you don't have kids, but you love your parents because they're your parents. You love your spouse because they're your spouse. You love your friends because of that relationship. They're your friends. You don't love strangers the way you love your family. I'm sorry, you just don't because there's not relationship. Maybe you can be kind to them. I hope you're kind to them. But it's not the same. They don't have the same rights that your kids have. For example, my kids, when they have a bad dream, they just walk right into my husband and I's bedroom late in the middle of the night. If one of you walked into my bedroom in the middle of the night, I would be scared and I would be calling the cops like, what is happening? Because the relationship's different. Other people don't enjoy the same closeness as their kids have. I love to cuddle my kids when we're watching a movie. I don't cuddle people like at the park on a bench. I'm not like, hi, let's cuddle. I love cuddling. You probably love cuddling. There's no relationship. That would be weird for me and really weird for them. People without relationship aren't entitled to the same blessings. My husband and I, we pay for all our kids' stuff. Um, They're just too young to get jobs right now. I don't pay for all your kids' stuff. You do that. Great job. Sometimes I buy my friends lunch because they're my friends. I generally don't buy strangers food because they're strangers. And really the only difference is relationship. My friends aren't better than anyone else. I just have a relationship with them. They don't do anything to earn my friendship, to earn me buying them a meal. They simply enjoy the benefits of being my friend. We spend time together, we talk, we walk, we laugh, we have fun. And any stranger could become my friend. The only thing that's missing is that relationship. But if a stranger tried to buy my friendship or earn my friendship, that would not be enjoyable. Earned love is never genuine. And it's the same with God. When you have a relationship with Jesus, you enjoy all of the rights, the closeness, the blessings of that relationship, of being a child of God, of being a son or daughter of his, of being his kid, not because of anything you've done, but because of your relationship with Jesus. Today's our Nerf Camp awards ceremony. Make some noise if you're excited, come on. We had such a good time at Nerf Camp this week. The boys learned about courage every day and they had the chance to walk that out as they were in Nerf battles with their teammates. It was so sweet. We even have battles like downstairs outside our offices. So you like kind of run through the shooting and say like, don't shoot me. I definitely got shot in the back by somebody. They're so fun. Um, We're so excited to give them medals today at the end of the experience. And yeah. Maybe your son won today. Maybe he didn't. But you're here to support him because you love him. And you're not going to love him more if he won, and you're not going to love him less if he didn't. The point is that you love him. That's why you're here. And in the same way, our performance doesn't determine God's love for us. It's like we just sang in that song, Jaira doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. Come on. I'm already loved. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. God's not mad at you when you mess up, and he's not loving you more when you're winning at life. When you trust in Jesus, he sees you the same way that he sees Jesus. Come on. And he loved Jesus before he saved the world. He loved Jesus before he healed a single person, before he did any miracles, Before he set people free, when Jesus was baptized, here's what God said. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Matthew 3, 17, a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God says, I love him because he's my son. I'm pleased with him because he's my son. And God says the same thing to you because of Jesus. He says, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you. I'm crazy about you. Come on. You see, God is love. And he loved you before you were born. He loves you right now. He loves even the parts of you that aren't so lovable, the parts of yourself that you don't even love. He loves those. Come on. He loves the parts that are like your gifts and the amazing parts that everybody sees. He loves those. He's pleased with you. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. He's proud of you. He's like, hey, have you seen my kid, Michelle? She's amazing. How about my son, Eric? I love him so much. Have you seen my daughter, Shioma? Man, I created her so special. I love them and I'm proud of them. And you need to hear that today. He's proud of you. But because he is holy, he's perfect, he can't have sin in his presence. And sin is just aiming at a target and missing the bullseye. It's falling short of his standard. Sin's a part of the human condition since Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sin is being imperfect. And so God made a way for us to have a relationship with him through Jesus. Because he knew we needed help. We needed a savior. So Jesus did what we could not so we could become who God originally created us to be. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took all our sins. We're like, here you go, Jesus. This is really weighing me down. I don't want any more. You take it. And he gave us his righteousness. We received what we didn't earn and what we don't deserve. And that's grace, receiving righteousness because of Jesus. He took the things that held us back And he gave us credit for all the good things that he did. Today's message is called Guilt-Free, Graceful. Let's say it together. Guilt-free. Graceful. Graceful. Tell it to the person next to you. Guilt-free. Person on the other side, graceful. graceful. I know you didn't want to leave that person out. They might be a stranger. You don't have a relationship with them yet, but you'll get there. Jesus takes on all of our guilt. He takes on all of our shame and he propels us forward in his grace. So instead of us being on trial for sin, he puts us on a podium, gives us a medal for righteousness. He's like, hey, I won the race. I didn't stumble. I didn't fall short. I hit the target. I hit the bullseye. I won. And he takes off the medal, and he says, this is for you. And once we've accepted it, Nobody can take it from us. All we do is keep wearing it, keep living, keep walking in His righteousness, keep walking in gold medal status, keep believing and becoming who God says we are. Come on. That's the truth. The only time that we don't wear it is if we take it off and say, oh, I don't think I'm good enough for this. I'm going to put it away in a closet and not remember who I am. But God says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Wear that medal proudly, walk in that identity. What does that mean? It means there's no condemnation for you. Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No disapproval, no punishment, no accusation. I mean, there are consequences that we naturally feel when we choose to do things our own way, when we do things in a way that doesn't honor God. We feel those consequences. Consequences that hurt us, they hurt other people, but they're not things that God is punishing us with. They're things that naturally happen when we sin. God's not counting our sins against us. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He's not like keeping a list in heaven of like naughty list They did that and that and that and that. Naughty and nice list. Mm-mm. That's not our God he forgives everything we've done wrong and he says he remembers our sins no more Hebrews 8 12 I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more so that thing that you did last week that you can't stop thinking about he's forgotten it already he chose to remember it no more because of Jesus The enemy might keep bringing it up in your head to remind you of what you've done and say, I don't think you're worthy of that medal, but just remind him, I never earned this medal to begin with. It's Jesus's. Come on. God loves you, and he's pleased with you. And in Jesus, you are guilt-free and grace-filled. So when you mess up, forgive yourself. Choose a different path next time. Make amends to those who you've wronged, but most importantly, let his grace fill you. Guilt-free, graceful. Today we're going to look at a man named Zacchaeus who experienced freedom from guilt and a filling of grace. It's in Luke 19, 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there was the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So there's this man named Zacchaeus. We'll call him Zach. He was a tax collector, and not just any tax collector, a chief tax collector. He was, like, a head of tax collectors. And in those days, the Jews hated the tax collectors because they were collecting taxes for the Roman government. So they were collecting taxes for the enemy. And not only did they collect taxes they would take a little bit off the top and they would say, okay, you actually owe more on your taxes this year. So everybody's like, no thanks. And they would use thugs to collect payment. They were so hated, they had to stay away from everybody else, especially the chief tax collectors. So Zach, he heard about Jesus. He wanted to see who he was, but the Bible says he was short. I think that's funny. This is the only time the Bible says somebody was short. Like, he had to ask for help with things in the grocery store. Like, I can't reach the top shelf. He's short. He didn't let his shortness or being a tax collector stop him from looking for Jesus. He couldn't see over the crowd. Sometimes we get distracted by the crowd, and it's hard for us to see Jesus, too. We look around, and we see people, and we're like, I don't know. They don't look so much like Jesus. I don't know if I want Jesus. Don't follow the crowd. Follow Jesus. Don't put your faith in people. Come on. Put your faith in Jesus. Look past the crowd. Look to Jesus. So that's what Zach did. He got a better view. Luke 19:4. Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I love this. When you seek God, he finds you. He responds to you. His attention is attracted to you, to people who are looking for him. Zach didn't say anything. Jesus spoke to him, and Zach was glad. Because when grace comes to you, you can't help but be glad. Grace is good news of great joy for all people. He was glad because he expected Jesus to treat him like everybody else. He expected Jesus to condemn him. He could have pointed at Zach. Jesus could have said, you're a sinner. Give back everybody's money. He could have declared him guilty because he was guilty. But Jesus didn't. That's not why he came. John 3:17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And maybe you've thought God is out to get you, but right here, he sent Jesus to save us. Jesus wanted to get to know Zacchaeus. He wanted to hear his story. He wanted to give him grace. He wanted to go to his house. I mean, that's a real friend, the kind who just invites themselves over, like, I'm going to your house today. Imagine if everybody stopped condemning the people they're supposed to hate and started listening to their story like Jesus. Come on. What if we all started trying to understand where other people are coming from? What if we started giving them compassion? What if we started supplying grace because we have it to give from Jesus? And, you know, the people in the crowd, they were probably thinking, he's guilty. He stole from me. He stole from my family. Don't people need to know? Doesn't he need to feel bad about himself? He was already an outcast for his actions. He already knew he was guilty. Everyone else already knew he was guilty. He already felt bad. Is feeling more bad going to help him? Zach had probably stolen money from every person in that crowd, and they all knew it. Maybe they thought Jesus had no idea, and they were angry, you know. They wanted Jesus to come to their house, and he's going to, hit their, to Zach's house? Are you kidding me? Zach, who stole from us? I mean, we basically paid for his house. We paid for his food. We paid for the table that he's gonna be eating at. It was all stolen from us. Jesus, the truth needs to get out. Someone needs to make this right. Jesus already knows. And grace wins, hands down, every time. Come on, trust him. Trust him. People don't need fingers pointed when they do wrong. They already know. The Bible says God's law is written on our hearts. We know from the time that we're kids when we do something that we shouldn't. When I was almost two, I stole a giant Hershey bar from my mom. I just want to confess it to you guys. I did. I did. She bought this Hershey bar to make a tandy cake, and we didn't have a lot of money. I ate that bar, and I hid under the table because I knew that it was wrong. Look how big that is. And there were consequences. We couldn't have dessert because I ate the bar. Sorry, family. Here's another picture. Do we have the next one? And I liked it. (laughs) There's the evidence right on my face. Why was I hiding under the table? Because I knew it was wrong. The problem isn't getting us to believe that we're guilty. We're well aware. The challenge is to get us to believe in his righteousness. Come on, when you mess up, you don't need to be told you're wrong. It's clear. You need to be reminded of who you are in Jesus. You are guilt-free and graceful. We're going to be talking about having grace for yourself next Sunday. We've got a special guest. You're going to love him. Don't miss it next week. Grace doesn't shun people. It pursues them. Grace doesn't condemn those who fall short. It embraces them and transforms them. That's what the grace of God does for us. And that's what it empowers us to do to other people. And if you're like, well, they should be changed by grace. If they're not changed yet, they don't need more guilt. They need more grace. Grace. We're going to see in a few minutes that when you give people grace, something amazing happens in their lives. So Jesus invited himself to Zach's house. Luke 19:7. all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. It's true. Zach was a great sinner. And it's ironic because so were they. Literally all Jesus did all day is hang out with human beings. Imperfect people. The Bible's full of imperfect people. In fact, the only perfect one is Jesus. Every other human messed up, made mistakes, fell short, and God still used them. I love it. The Bible is the story of us, and it's the story of our perfect Savior. It's the story of us and the goodness of God loving us. If you look around the world today, no one's perfect. I know it's shocking, right? I've never met a perfect person. Yet we hold each other to a perfect standard. In our humanity we expect other people to do what we can't do. Romans 3:23 says, "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." All means all. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All fall short, but all are justified freely by his grace. That's good news. The scandalous nature of grace is that we all don't deserve it. Zach didn't deserve it, and neither did anybody else in the crowd. Zach was guilty of stealing money, it's true, and they were guilty of judging Zach. In our humanity, we rarely see people as they actually are. We have perceptions that are a little skewed because of past relationships, because of past experiences, because of preconceived notions. We tend to make judgment calls about people because our vision's a little blocked. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7, 7. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I love that. That saying, yes, your brother has faults, but so do you. It's true Zach had a speck in his eye. Everyone else had a plank in theirs. Jesus says, deal with your stuff before you go after other people's stuff. Acknowledge that you're imperfect before you go after someone else's imperfections. Recognize That could be you if you walked in their shoes and you lived their life and you had their background. When you see someone else going through something, don't judge them. The world doesn't need more judgment. It doesn't need more guilt. It needs more grace. And we are here to bring grace to our city. Come on. I was reading this quote from a martyr. His name was John Bradford, and he saw a criminal being executed. He said, There, but for the grace of God, go I. That means I'm no better than that person. But for the grace of God, that could be me. Without God's grace, I could be in the same spot. Without God's grace, I have the same human nature. Without God's grace, my best efforts don't measure up anyway. I mean, you might be the best of the best in your field. You might be voted class angel. You might be perfect in a lot of ways. But Isaiah 64:6 6 says, We're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Filthy rags. Isaiah is saying even our best efforts, our righteousness, doesn't compare to the perfection of God. And some of you perfectionists need to hear this today. Even your very best Man, God's standard is so much better. And that takes the pressure off you to say, man, even if I was perfect, I'm not God. Let God be God and you be you. Compared to him, our best efforts are like filthy rags. I'm going to get real with you. These are not dish rags. These are not the rags that you use in your garage. If you look at the original language of this verse, the word filthy, are you ready for it? It has to do with menstruation. And I'm not talking about this for shock factor or because I'm a woman. I'm talking about it because it's what God says to us. He says our righteous deeds are like women's soiled menstrual cloths. My husband gets really grossed out about this. I mean, he's the type that's like, please don't ask me to go to the store to get anything that you need. He gets grossed out. And that's the point. We should be grossed out by this illustration. God's using really strong imagery here to say, on your own, even your best efforts apart from him, they're not enough. So stop thinking you've got to work harder. You've got to be this. You've got to try that to earn his love. It's not what he's looking for. He already loves you. He's already pleased with you. And because he loves you, then you do your life out of that. You live excellently out of that, not to earn His love, but because you already have it. If you think you're perfect, that's called self-righteousness. And when you think you're perfect, there's no room for God to help you. But when you admit that you need His help, He does what you cannot, and He gives you His righteousness. Ephesians 2.7 says, God has us where He wants us, with all the time in this world and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. I love that. He wants to shower grace and kindness on us because of Jesus. We talked about the first couple weeks of this series, those giant tipping buckets that they have at water parks. And those buckets fill with water until they get full, and then they just dump on all the people below. And everybody runs to get in the flow. They're like, yeah, this is amazing. That's what the grace of Jesus is like. We run into his grace. He wants to shower us with grace. He's not looking to condemn us. He wants to shower us with his grace, with his love, with who he is. Come on. Verse 8. It says, saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's like, you know, we're out to sea if you're like flailing around because you're drowning. You got to just settle down and let someone rescue you, okay? Trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. So God saves us through Jesus and our part is receiving that gift. We trust him enough to let him fill us up with his grace. Verse nine, he says, if we did, we'd probably go around bragging, we've done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He made us and he saves us. Just like we can't take credit for being created, we can't take credit for saving ourselves. He knows our human nature, He knows that we tend to make everything about ourselves. I was reading in a psychology book this week. It said, until the time that we're six, we really do think the whole world revolves around us. It's probably what I thought with that chocolate bar. This is obviously mine. The world revolves around me. That's why when you're driving in the car with little kids, they'll be like, the moon is following our car. You know it's not following your car, but they don't know that. That's why when something breaks at your house, kids are likely to be like, oh my gosh, it's my fault even if they were not even anywhere close to it. As we grow up, we learn that we're not the center of the universe. God knows this about us because he created us. Verse 10 says, He created each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he's gotten ready for us to do, work we'd better be doing. So he created us, he saved us, and he gives us purpose. He gives us good things to do in our lives because he saved us. Not to earn our salvation, but because he's already changed us. He gives us good things to do in our world, at work, at school, with our friends, with our family. Instead of trying to be good enough, instead of trying to be frustrated by our best efforts, we get to rest in his goodness. We get to enjoy our relationship with him, and we work and live out of that place with rest. We talked about that last week. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. And we give grace to other people out of that place of rest. So we can care about people instead of condemning them. We can choose to help broken, hurting, and messy people who have made wrong choices. People at work who no one else will talk to because of what they've done. They might have really done it, but we can give them grace. We talked to the black sheep of the family who, I mean, they really betrayed everyone. They said sorry, but I mean, we just shunned them. No, no, no. We give them grace. We have grace to give away. I heard Joel Osteen tell a story one time about how his father uh, wrote a letter to another evangelist who had messed up, who had went to jail. And while the rest of the Christian world was turning their back on that person, he wrote them a letter and he said, I forgive you and I love you and I want to be friends with you. And that person was so marked by that letter. They're like, "I, I was guilty. I did wrong. How could you... Give me love I don't deserve. He's like, that's what God did for me. How could I not do it for you? He extended friendship. And when we do that, that's when we're like Jesus. Everyone else was judging Zacchaeus, and Jesus went to his house for dinner. James 2.13 says, Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. Mercy triumphs over judgment every time. Grace wins hands down, mercy wins every time. That's why I hope you'll never hear us judging people. You'll never hear us condemning people from the stage. We'll do our best not to throw stones. Remember, we're imperfect humans too. This is a judgment-free zone. Mother Teresa said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. We don't get a lot of time on earth, and I'd rather spend my time loving people Then judging them. Loving people changes their lives. Grace changes their lives. Judgment demands payment and declares guilt. Grace supplies. Grace overflows. Jesus tells Zach, I'm going to your house. Luke 19, 8 says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Wow. So Zach just admitted that maybe he's cheated some people. He's confessing to stealing? Yeah. But it wasn't because someone condemned him for his actions. He confessed because someone loved him. His life was changed because Jesus loved him. And that's the power of grace. Grace changes our lives from the inside out effortlessly. Zacchaeus wasn't, like, trying to do better. He wasn't like, oh, I just, I really should give money to the poor. I really should, like restore everything I've taken from people? No, grace is not good people trying to sin less. It's changed people becoming more and more like Jesus by resting in who he says they are. Grace changes your heart to say, I don't wanna go back to my old life because this new life is so good. Grace doesn't demand. Jesus didn't say you have to pay back everyone you stole from. Grace supplies. Because, Zac- because Jesus gave Zacchaeus what he didn't deserve, Zach, he gave people money back. He gave people he stole from more than he took. He gave them more than they deserved. He gave to the poor. It's a grace overflow. When you receive grace, you can't help but give it away because you have so much that you can't contain it. You want everyone to experience grace. Come on guilt-free, grace-full. The generous version of Zacchaeus was always there beneath the surface. Jesus saw his potential. He didn't see him for who he was. He saw him for who God created him to be. He saw who he could become. He saw a man of integrity waiting to be unearthed. When you meet Jesus, he shows you who you were always meant to be. Stop trying to change yourself and start trusting in Jesus to change you. As you get to know him, you wake up to your righteousness. You wake up to that gold medal status. As you get to know the goodness of God, you start to change your thinking about yourself and about other people. Romans two, four said, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, that leads us to changing our minds about him. Another version says, in kindness, God takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into radical life change. It's his kindness that changes us. It's love, it's grace, and it's who God is. So we receive it from his grace overflow and we give it away. Luke 19, 9, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that a son of Abraham is a person who believes God by faith, not trying to earn or deserve anything, but trusting in who he is. We talked about that earlier in this series. Jesus is saying Zach is being saved because he believes by faith. You don't have to have it all together for salvation to come to you. You don't have to have it all together for God to love you. It's not about you and your perfection. It's not about you. And your shortcomings, it's about Jesus and his righteousness. Zach had nothing to offer. He had nothing to boast in. I mean, he wouldn't have even tried to talk to Jesus. He was just going up a tree just to get a better look. He was looking for Jesus. And when he found Jesus, he found salvation. And when he found Jesus, he experienced a better life. How does that happen? Jesus says in John 14:15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you've been around church, you might read that as, if you love me, you better try hard to keep my commandments. You better follow all 613 rules in the law. But when you read it through a lens of grace, Jesus is saying, because you love me, you will keep my commandments effortlessly. Because you love me, because I'm changing you, because I empower you you can keep my commandments. Like Zacchaeus, living according to his ways is just a fruit of loving Jesus. There's only one work that God wants you to do. It's John 6 29. This is our last verse for today. It says, the only work God wants from you is to believe in the one he sent. Believe in the one he sent.